I'm going to eventually end up in Ephesians 1. You might want to go ahead and get there. We can dive into the Word today. My name is Stephen, for those of you I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet. And um, let me just get right to it. I, uh, I've had the privilege of coming to this church here for about, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Uh, 10 years, I guess. And uh, now I just, it's gotten to the point after speaking a bunch here and so on, I'm just a little bit on staff. And it really is a privilege. When I first got here, I, I was really fat and happy with an emphasis on the word fat. Um, because um, I have lost about 50 pounds in the last, last year, year and a half. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And um, some, of you, some of you new folks looking at me going, yeah, there's 50 more to go. I know, I know. I'm going to get there too. But let me tell you why I began to lose weight. Uh, first of all, I made the mistake when I first got here going to work out with Pastor Brett. Uh, now, that's just what a fool does because I'm, t- I'm telling you, I went to work out with him. And, uh, you know, I can, I, I can work out. I'm an ex-jock. But I look over and Brett's got the incline on the, on the treadmill all the way cranked up. And he's running it backwards. I hated him. I, I, mean, I mean, little skinny guy, how can you do that? But this is what really did it. This is what really did it. Look at this picture up here when it comes up in just a minute. This is the thing that really sent me over there. There's Billy D. Williams on the right. And, and there's the Pillsbury Doughboy on the left with the bad wig. So I look up at this thing and I go, oh my gosh, who is that? Chris is, look at Chris. Like, he's feeling good. Hammer's feeling good. Everybody's feeling good. I was about to open a vein. And, um, you know, there, I just, I'm enjoying using this as an open illustration, but uh, the thing is, I never made a decision to gain 100 pounds. Anybody, what idiot makes a decision to gain 100 pounds, right? What I didn't do was make a decision to be healthy and to live right. And when you don't radically commit to the good, then it's as though you've been new, you're neutral, and whenever you try to be neutral, you go backwards. I, remember, I can't remember how I did it, but somehow in some European airport, I got on the wrong moving sidewalk going the other way. It's something you'd only do in Europe. You'd have to travel to European airports to know how weird it can be. And so suddenly I'm standing there going backwards. And I am not moonwalking. I'm just moving backwards. And, uh, and this, so now I had to go forward to overcome not only the movement of the sidewalk, but to actually make progress, right? I don't want to sit there walking right where I am. I want to, well, that takes a lot of effort because the sidewalk's working against you, right? The sidewalk's trying to move you away from where you're going. You're, I'm walking, I'm thinking, I can't walk normally. I've got to walk exceptionally fast. I've got to almost run to move forward when the sidewalk's going the other way. And that's the way it is in life, especially the Christian life, especially the, the, in spiritual things. You, you can't just be neutral. You can't just stand still. You can't just stand uh, waiting to see what happens. You've got to radically commit yourself. You've got to radically devote yourself, eagerly pursue the good, or you find yourself basically being neutral, and neutral is reverse. Just remember that. There's, there's, the, neutral is reverse. It may not be that way on your car, but it is that way here. I want to talk to you about some things today uh, related to this. Um, and I, I want to tell you why I am going to talk to you about them. Three things. I'm going to talk to you today about, some, I think, some pretty important things and some, some spiritual emphases, in part because of where this church is. Now, I realize that some of you are visitors, and welcome to you, and just, just, just be part of us, and don't, don't feel like you've got to catch you know, the, the heat of everything that I'm talking about today. But, but whenever a church moves into a new building, whenever a church grows like this one is growing, Whenever a church's reach expands, like this church's uh, reach is expanding, uh, there is a step up that has to happen in the spirit. 
Uh, there is an owning of the vision. There is a stepping up into new levels of, of, of a pursuit of God and experience of the Holy Spirit and, and, and devotion to the purposes of God on earth that's got to happen. The last thing we want is to have more people and a bigger building and everybody coming and God not manifesting his presence in our midst. Do you follow what I'm saying? We're not here to have a human experience. Thank God for all human experiences that are holy. We're not here to have a human experience. We're here to have a divine encounter that changes lives and sets the human aflame, right? That's what we're here to do. Otherwise, you know, we can find good music anywhere, and we can put a white guy on stage and have him preach anywhere. We don't need to have, we don't need to come here and do this. If God's not here, what's the point? right? If he's not showing up, if he's not honoring his word, if he's not enthroning himself on the praise of his people, what's the point? Well, all that's got to go to a new level here in the next days of our church uh, because of what's happening. And, and I got to tell you that having pastored for, many, uh, dec- for several decades and led institutions and so on, I wish right now that I could do to time what I can do on my iPad, which is reach over and put my finger on June 2, which is today's date, right? Am I right about that? Today's June 2, and drag it to about September 15. It's not just because it's devil hot outside, and, I, and I, I, I don't think it ought to be legal to be above 60 degrees anywhere on the planet. Uh, but more than that, more than that, no rebuke intended. This is just normal. Over the summer, churches get a little fuzzy in terms of vision and direction. You follow what I'm saying? Why? Because of normal human stuff, right? We got vacations. We got things to do. Attendance drops a little bit. It's fine. We want you to rest. We want you to go places with your family. I'm just saying the dynamics of a church fuzz a little bit over the summer just because people have things to do and it's uh, the weather and all that kind of thing. But, But we, even if we're not sitting in this room on a Sunday morning, we as GCC have got to continue to press forward in the spirit to take the ground that we're meant to take because it's not about us. It's about where we're positioned. I'm sure it's not lost on you. We're sitting on the edge of arguably the most powerful city in the world, and we have an obligation. And I want to be able to look Jesus in the face when that day comes and have him say to all of us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I don't want to have missed it or to have thought it's for me. So that one, number one is where we are as a church. Number two is where we are as human beings, where we are as believers. Uh, you know, what we are designed for, what we're made for as believers is that our entire soul, everything within us is fulfilled in God, right? That the love of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the anointing and the fullness of the Holy Spirit is permeating our lives and every corner of our soul is fully filled and our, our hearts are full and, and, and all of our souls longing except for the ones God's designed to be human, you know, like your marriage and love of children, all that friends. I mean, God's not intending to replace that. But all of those longings of the human heart that are fulfilled in God are fulfilled. And that's the ideal and that's what we hope for. But, the, but often our reality is uh, that, that our souls aren't fully answered and satisfied that there are disappointments, that there are corners of our souls uh, where God is not p- fully uh, allowed to, or ha- for some reason, there's been some, there's some reason that that's not happened. And, uh, you know, one of my good friends, uh, uh, not good friends, but one of my friends is um, Mo- uh, Beth Moore, uh, and, uh, and she has a way of saying something that I've quoted many times, and I want to quote it here again because I think it's so important. She says uh, that an unfulfilled soul is a stronghold, and she says a Texas style, looking to happen. An unfulfilled soul is a stronghold looking to happen. 
Have you ever seen an older Christian who's been walking with the Lord for years and then suddenly they flip out, porn problems, whatever, craziness? What's ha what happened? A part of their life was not fulfilled in Jesus. They were living with some part, some vacuum, some, some suction that wasn't answered in their soul, a hole in their soul, and they, and they tried to fill it themselves. Your soul will seek an answer for itself if it doesn't find its answer in God. Do you, you follow what I'm saying? It can be food, it can be play, it can be the stuff we own. Some of you, like me, have got friends that they buy. You just can't imagine a human being can buy that much stuff, and you know it's not making any difference in terms of what goes on on the inside of them. So uh, this is especially true with slightly older believers. I don't mean, you know, 80s, but I mean, I look out here, a lot of young people, they're also folks, 30s, 40s, 50s, you've been Christians for a lot of years. And the fact is that you can walk with God uh, long enough where, a lot, where you're settled, you're a believer, uh, you're not going to go anywhere, but at the same time, you're carrying disappointments. You're carrying some things you wish it happened, you know? It's like the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus. We had hoped that he would be the one. Remember that story? They got two guys walking to Emmaus after the resurrection. And, and I'm just saying that we've got those things in our lives. And, and if we just make peace with that, if we just say, well, we're just going to live unsatisfied, that's just how it is, and oh, I guess God's not, it's not God's will to answer all this stuff, you understand what we do. We settle for less than what God has provided, number one. And number two, we leave ourselves set up for a stronghold fixing to happen. All right? So just hold, hold that edifying thought in your brain. And then number three is this, a little bit more pointed. As I prepared this message, I had a very strong sense that there are some folks who are really at the critical, dangerous edge. And largely because um, you, you have absorbed a lot of this anti-Christian thinking or been around a lot of this new atheism and people criticizing scripture and undermining the truth of the Bible and all that kind of, you know, maybe it takes the form of anti-evangelicalism or whatever. And it's, it's put more than just seeds of doubt in your soul. These things have put down roots and really begun to move in and you know you're in a dangerous position. You know you're about to walk away. Uh, you're not telling anybody because we don't do that much in church when it comes to, you know, hey, I'm about to deny the whole faith, you know. But, but for some of us, the need for a genuine encounter with spirit, with God, with Jesus, a genuine moment of, of transforming encounter with the risen Christ that solves old, all doubts, that is desperate for you. And so if that's you, be encouraged. God's talking to you this morning, and I want to talk to you from the word about that very thing. Now, let me tell you what the problem is in all of what I've just described, the big theological problem for us. And, and maybe it'll explain why uh, some of your, maybe your past experiences haven't been happy. We, we get saved by grace, don't we? We get saved by grace. This is what we're like. We're like those keys on the ground. Now, those keys do not have the power to raise themselves up, do they? They do not have the power to jump up into my hand, unless you're watching The Matrix or something, all right? They, they do not have the power to jump up into my hand. So this is you. All of us were unsaved. All of us were nasty sinners. All of us were in a mess. All of us thought we were being cool and awesome. In fact, we were in bondage. And so Jesus reached down and picked us up. Somebody could say amen, maybe just maybe once in a while. And, and he picked us up, and he started loving on us, and gave us faith, and began to change our lives, right? Now, a lot of people, particularly in, you know, I'll do it my way, Frank Sinatra, American Christianity, we assume that Jesus saves us by faith, and then we have to work it all out until we go to heaven, right? Well, there's, there's some truth in that, 
Because there's no question, there's stuff you got to do, right? I mean, if you're going to be obedient to the master, you got to do stuff, not do stuff. You know, I got stuff to do with my wife. It's stuff to do in tithing and giving and stuff to do in holiness and stuff to do. That's good. That's what we want. We want to be changed. And change means a different life. And different life means we do different stuff, right? That's, that's, that, that's how it is. But if we get the message from that, that everything we need can come from things that we do and create for ourselves... We will be living a kind of a natural Christianity that God doesn't have to be part of to happen, right? I mean, I mean, if, if as I said a little while ago, if, if we're in this room and Jesus is not here, then, then we're just having a psychological human experience. We're not having an encounter with the living God. And so there's certainly stuff you got to do, to use the phrase I apparently picked up in this service. I'm not sure why, but I'm having fun. There's stuff you got to do. But then there, there's also the harder thing, which is stuff you can't do but you need God to do, right? And what we, tend to be, what we tend to do because it's easier is to not stop at the, the line of the stuff we can't do, we need God to do, and cry out to him in desperation and hunger because that hurts. That's no fun. That's not, that's, that makes us dependent, right? We got to wait for God to move, right? We prefer the stuff we can do for ourselves. So we do a lot of stuff. And we hope that doing some of that stuff will lead us into the experiences we need to have, but it leaves our soul hungry because we can't manufacture a relationship with Jesus by doing stuff. We can't manufacture the anointing of the Holy Spirit filling our lives and empowering our, our, our works like, like, you know, like Jesus can do. We can't, we can't produce by natural dynamics the kind of outpouring the Holy Spirit that we need to change this city permanently, a city that's never seen a major outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We, we cannot generate those things. I cannot dance, go on the war path, scream, you know, worship long enough to produce a healing if Jesus does not show up. You follow what I'm saying? I, I, we need him. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on him. Right? We do not, I do not know what to do, the servant said in the Old Testament, but my eyes are on you. So the reason that I'm, that I'm sharing what I'm sharing today is that we've got to draw the line between the stuff that comes from what we do when we do the stuff, apparently this word stuff's not going away, and, and then on the other hand, the things we have got to cry out to God to do, or we're going to be living way beneath what we're called to, way beneath the satisfaction of our and fulfillment of our souls, and way beneath what we need to change our generation and set people free. You see what I mean? So we have to be delivered, we have to be careful to distinguish between God's divine works that we cry out and pray for, and then the things that we are responsible for. And I want to suggest to you that the church of Jesus in America is so hungry for pure supernatural works, it can barely stand itself. I'm not just talking about stuff at the front with healings and you know, kind of the Benny Hinn thing. Bless them all. We, we believe in all of it. We just don't think it ought to be a style thing here. That's maybe our little distinction. But the main issue is we need God to move. I speak a lot in the body of Christ. I've got to tell you, the unsatisfied soul, the disillusioned Christian, the Christian that's just barely hanging on to his connection to the church, that is a plague. It's killing us. Why? Because we're not having genuine psycho, uh, spiritual dynamic and connection to Jesus, encounter with the risen Christ. We're having kind of a, in some cases, having kind of a psychological, you know, well, let's play 19 more. So, you know, I mean, Rob knows better than anybody because he's a musician. There's the anointed ministry of the minstrel and the psalmist. And then there's the psychological manipulation of music. If you've built the church on the psychological manipulation of music, you're just doing psychology, right? Well, psychology is not going to set anybody free. 
I think I've just stepped into danger land. I think I'll just go right over here and come on. But, and, and so my, my point is that what we want is anointed worship and anointed ministry of the word and the embody coming together. But, even, but at a human connection level, that will not produce what we need and what we're hungering for. And so if the church is a place of psychology or just, now please don't misunderstand, I do leadership training, but I'm saying the only reason for a church is to do leadership training, for example, you understand how much ministry has become about leadership. Well, then we're all going to leave unsatisfied because that can be the greatest leader on the planet. But if Jesus hasn't answered the longing of my soul, then I'm going to be in bondage. You follow what I'm saying? I'm going to be hurting. I'm going to be looking for something to drink or watch or somebody to be with inappropriately to cram that into my soul and somehow try to fix my own soul's need and it won't work. All right? Why it's got dark suddenly? What happened? This, okay, here we go. So, no, it's me messing around. So, what I want to talk to you about just in the next few minutes is these powerful prayers that Paul prayed that answer the things that I'm talking about right now. And here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to tell you right up front, because it's not, you know, it's not, I'm not using sales technique. I'm going to teach through this just briefly. There's four places where Paul prays for us, and he prays just the answers to these things. We've woven it into a single prayer. We're going to pray it together here in a few minutes before we call it a day. And we're asking you to pray this over the summer. Just put it on your iPad. We're going to give it to you. It's going to be available by download on the, on, the, on the website. We know you're going to be on vacation. We know you're going to be gone. But, but put it on your iPhone or your Android or all the other 92 different versions and, or iPad or tattoo it, stick it on your fridge or mirror or whatever, and just pray. Take about five minutes, okay? And just over the summer, let's not lose the spiritual push, the spiritual cry to God for the things that we need. So we come back, you know, in late August and September and go, now who are we? Where are we? No, we can't do that. We've got to be in stride, man. We've got to be taking hold of God for what he's about to do. Not just because there's a bricks and mortar thing happening next door, but because this is what we're called to be as a people. All right? So go with me to Ephesians 1. That's the longest introduction in the history of the world. And here's what Paul says in verse, nah, I, think I've, I think I've cut into it a little bit, but I was starting at 15. I'm now probably somewhere at 16. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now let's hit this straight on. You will never be satisfied. You will never be whole. You will never be fulfilled. You will never be all the other things that you long for in Jesus. You will not have. I will not have unless I know him by experience. Salvation is not knowing about Jesus. It's not a process at the front of the room. It's not a way of holding your tongue when you say you know, certain words. It's not some kind of... It is... Salvation is encountering Jesus Christ and submitting your life radically to him and then walking with him in an intimacy after that. The reason that we have folly so much in the body of Christ is we have people who know about Jesus but don't actually know him and have not allowed him to move into their souls and fully change them. I've done it in my life. I've gone through seasons in my life like that. And, and I, and I want to say it just very bluntly right now so it doesn't sound like I'm speaking down to everybody. Right this second, I'm unhappy with how much I experience of Jesus. Do you, you know what I'm saying? I'm hungry. We're desperate. We want stuff. Like right now, I've been, I, this is my fourth service. I'm hungry for lunch. Do not get between me and the door, all right? I'm going to say amen. I'm going to run everybody over. Somebody's going to run interference for me, all right? I'm just playing. I'm hungry. If we can't be real in church. I, I'm hungry. Well, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to get some food. I, 
and that's how I feel about Jesus. I know Jesus. I know him. I hear his voice. I've, I, I have felt his whisperings. I felt his whisperings about this or his talking to me. And I don't mean audible voice, you know, the suggestings and the things that happen, the, the way he speaks. I'm not happy with that. I'm not satisfied with a sermon that's at least in English and I'm not babbling all over myself. You follow what I'm saying? I want the presence of Jesus in my life. I want him to save my children. I want him to save my children. I want him to change the city. I want him to, you follow what I'm saying? I want him to reveal stuff to me. I don't just want to read the Bible. Now I lay me down to sleep. I want the Bible to speak to me. I, but I can't, I can't make that happen. I can't have enough PhDs to make that happen. I need Jesus to speak. All right? So where was I before I started preaching? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I don't know about you, but I got a hope crisis in my life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I don't have any big, huge, massive things, but I've got some things I'm hoping for. I haven't seen yet. You, you know what I mean? I've got some things I'm hoping for. I've got some things I was told are true. I believe he preached the word sinners get saved. I believe the nations can be discipled in our generation, right? I mean, um, it's not just Stephen's dream. This is what the word said. I haven't seen it yet. Have you? Have you seen it yet? I believe that Rob can get up there and lead us in worship, and the anointing can be so strong, people are healed, don't even believe in healing. That's what I want to see, because I believe it's possible, right? I, I don't want to argue about whether God heals. I just want him to do it, and then we'll work it out later, right? Or, or demons, or whatever the thing is. I don't, I don't need style. I don't need processes. I don't need television cameras. Let's just get in the presence of Jesus and see what, see what happens. Well, I've got some hopes for things like that that haven't happened yet. So I can either be bitter and hurt and heart sick because hope deferred makes the heart sick, as Proverbs tells us, or... I can allow the Lord to restore and renew that hope and enlighten my eyes, the eyes of my heart, so that I can know the hope to which he's called me. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power uh, for those of us who believe. Let's move on to Ephesians 3, just to conserve a little time. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in, his, in your inner being. Now, you know, I... I'm not saying we should get to church and tell all the negative things about us, but I hope you have somebody in your life you can turn to and say, I'm tired. I don't have the inner strength that I need. Uh, wounds have leached some of it out. Busyness has leached some of it out. My lack of time in the Word and seeking the Lord leached some of it, whatever it is. But just own that sometimes we're trying to do a divine life in human power, and that has no future, Right? That has no future. If Brett, if our pastor does not have some supernatural dynamic of energy uh, in his life when he's preaching for services and running backwards on the treadmill, uh, then, then he's in trouble, isn't he? We've got to have those dynamics. And the Bible says here that he'll give us strength uh, in, our, in our inner beings. That's, I need that. I need that strength. I need moral strength. I need, I need intellectual strength. I need whatever, living in this world, resisting the stronghold strength. I need every kind of strength, and so do you. And that's not something I can generate on my own. I can chant, I can watch movies, I can listen to tapes. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying we're powerless in those things. We can certainly strengthen ourselves in the Lord and, and renew our minds in the Lord. But God's got to move. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, okay? And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, say this next thing briefly. I, uh, I'm very well aware of what poorly parented people can end up living out the rest of their lives in terms of dysfunction and incompleteness. We all, we all know that. We all see it. You know, it's discussed uh, regarding everybody from our president down to, you know, whatever star has to, uh, TV star has just recently crashed. And so we all know that badly parented people 
um, or non-parented people often can have stuff in their lives. And, and we all have a little of it because our parents weren't angels, right? We all have a little of it at least. Well, the, the fact is that given who we are, given how many believers there are on the earth, and given how much of a harvest I think is coming in the world, if it's not happening in Washington, D.C., believe me, in China, they're, getting, they're having such a mass of conversions that the whole center of Christianity is moving to Asia. I mean, it's unbelievable worldwide how many people are being born again, even if it's not happening on, on your street right now. Well, we, we don't have time to put all those people individually in a, in a counseling session, try to, try to heal you know, hour by hour by hour. I mean, I believe in counseling. I, we believe in helping. We believe in you know, therapy of some kind, the Christian kind, not all psychological therapies that are out there. But Lord, have mercy. At some point, at some point, somebody broken and damaged by the way they were parented, you know, we, at some point, we, we, we've got to have an encounter with the love of Jesus that heals and restores and fills what was missing. You can't talk all of it out. You can't therapy all of it out. And that's not being anti-counseling and psychology. As I already said, I won't, I won't say again, because we, we, we've, we've made ourselves clear on that point here at this church. But Lord, have mercy. If we start having conversions in mass numbers, or if, or if we have to wait until the right number of counseling sessions, even for the people in this room to get whole, we won't be as whole as Jesus wants it to be. So at some point, we've got to let our parents off the hook and encounter the love of Jesus Christ in a, in a wider, deeper, more powerful way at some point. And, and I don't, I don't, I'm not telling you that I know exactly what that looks like. What I know is God does, and he tells us to pray for it. So I'm not, I'm not satisfied. Well, I got whooped up by my parents or whatever. I'm just making this up. And I'm, and I'm damaged, and I'm going to walk, you know, like this the rest of my life and my soul. I mean, okay, if that's how you walk, that's how you walk for now. And then let's pray that it gets straightened out as we encounter Jesus. I mean, at some point, the presence of Jesus and his love fixes the stuff on the inside of us. Or, or, I mean, that's, and, and I see us being asked to pray for that. Okay. By the way, I guess I got to pause here and make a point that, that's important. Um, one, of the, one of the unfortunate things about reading the Bible in English is that there's only one kind of you in English. Why O-U? There's only one kind of you, and it's, we, you can't tell what it is. If I say, uh, you, Bev, my wife, by the way, Bev, you, Bev, come to me, the word you is used appropriately, but if I say, you, come, it, it's the same word. We can't tell the difference. So that's what's going on in the Bible when it's translated in English. We can't tell what's you plural or you single. What we need, everybody who lives below the Mason-Dixon line know, is a y'all. <laughs> right? Now, the heretic Danell told me a little while ago that what we need is the Pennsylvania Yuns. <laughs> but that's just embarrassing to let out of my mind. I'm not even going to say that. So what we need is y'all. I mean, literally, we probably ought to be writing our Bibles. You know, there's the you. And there's the y'all, because, I mean, somehow we've got to figure out how to indicate, you know, use with an S or something. I don't know, yudes or something, I, whatever. We've got to figure out how to indicate that. But aside from the issues of translation, which is not what I'm called to, um, what you need to know is that almost every you in the New Testament is plural. Unless a man is writing a man, Paul to Timothy, or two guys are having a conversation, all of this language, every single you right here and all these trip verses we're looking at, they're all plural. So as we pray this over the summer, bear in mind, don't just pray for yourself. This is not just for a man. Thank God. Thank God. It's all, every word is applicable to you as an individual if you are the only person walking the planet. But it's all plural language. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we know him better, right? So, so that's why I'm calling you, asking you to do this over the summer, you know, two, three minutes a day, five minutes a day, uh, more if you've got time, but less if you don't, that's fine, read it on, you know, just quickly, is that at least we're, we're, we're continuing the cry reaching the Lord that we need this stuff. 
but remember that it's we. At least once in a while, stick a y'all in there too, just in honor of our, just whatever our Southern heritage is, or yuns if you want to go Yankee on it and make it happen, but somehow give us a plural you because it's about the body of Christ and your church, your family. It's about us. It's about all of us. In fact, maybe you want to pray it with an us. A couple more verses. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So your, so your love is not only, you're not only knowing the, the width and the height and the depth, but it's also getting more mature. It's also getting more, uh, it's getting deeper and richer and wiser, your love, as you pray. So you may be able to discern what is best and maybe pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Part of the problem for some of us, sweetheart, I think I left the water down there, would you mind? Um, Part of the problem for some of us is that the, you know, there was a day, thank you, there was a day in our lives when um, the the discerning we had to do was between, you know, one and then the number 100. We had a great big, it was easy, left, right, you know, black, white, whatever, you know, it was easy to know your options. Now, as we get older, and as the times get more complex, your margin of, dis- of discerning and decision-making is about a half an inch, right? You, you're not having to decide between God and the devil. You're having to decide between two things that look good, and you've got to have wisdom from God to know which is which. How many of you, I'll put my hand up first, have messed up your life by choosing something that looked good? You might have even thought it was God. Some of you are just like five, five hands up. You're holding up your neighbor's hand, and it, and it, and it ended up not being God. Well, I need more discernment than that. I, I, I do not have time to spend my life digging myself out of my bad discernment so I can get on with the business of living, right? I don't want to be fixing things. I want to be making new progress. We've got to pray for discernment. And, and the, these are words the Holy Spirit gave us. They're obviously words he wants to uh, fulfill, right? And then finally, Colossians 1. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask... God, to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Fill you with the knowledge of his will. Now, I know some stuff. You know some stuff. I don't know all of his will. I don't know all of his will about everything we're supposed to do. Lots of things I don't know his will about, right? I want to be filled with the knowledge of his will. I mean, that's something the Holy Spirit wants to do. And wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I skipped over it earlier, but the the conclusion, the thing that I'm hoping for as we hold these words before the Lord, just, just in a few minutes each day over these next 90 days of the summer when we tend to get a little bit dissipated, um, the conclusions in Ephesians 3.20, I think, where it says that God uh, has given us a spirit that's able to do beyond all we can ask or imagine. I don't want to arrive next Sunday at GCC and have only had during the week what I can naturally humanly produce or even naturally or humanly imagine. I want surprises from God. I'm not talking about Christmas presents. I'm talking about the stuff that is such a leap of destiny that we start making serious progress and we're not limited to what Stephen can imagine. For heaven's sakes, I want to live God's dream, not my own. I want to live God's uh, level of activity, not my own. So there's apparently a spirit in each one of us who are believers, uh, you know, when you're born again and the spirit of God comes to take up residence in your life, that is able to do beyond what you can imagine. And we can all imagine some pretty cool stuff, but you have no idea if really how God wants to unfold things in your life. I want to get on that other conveyor belt. I want to get on that. Y'all are competent. Everybody's competent people. You got up, you got dressed, you came here, you're smart, you got money, you're probably going to go eat. You got, you know, you're you're competent people. I just don't want to live out of my competence only, right? I want to be competent. I just don't want to live out of it only because then we're only going to have what Stephen can produce. And that doesn't change nations. That doesn't change cities. That doesn't get people born again. That doesn't even fulfill my soul, right? 
So I want that spirit that's able to do beyond all I can ask or imagine to arise in my life. Now, I want you to get your Episcopal on because we are going to read uh, this scripture. Stand with me, please. We're going to pray these words. We've worked it together into a single prayer. Um, we're going to read it together. And um, let's pray this. This is available on our site or will be by the end of the day, I, I've been told, that I may be Russian people. Andrew, can, are you back there? Wave me off if I've just promised something we can't do. I see a lot of hands, so I'll just say that. I'll take that as a yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's pray this. Remember, God's a Yankee. Pray fast. But, uh, but let's pray this with passion. And, and these are the words that Jesus wants to fulfill in your life. And then please, would you make them your prayer over the coming months? So we come back in the fall. I mean, not that we won't be here in the meantime. We come back in the fall with real passion. Ready? With praise and thanksgiving, I come before you, Lord, the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, and I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can know you better. I ask also that you will enlighten the eyes of my heart so that I can know the hope to which you have called me, my inheritance in the saints, and the tremendous power that is available to me as a believer. I ask also that from your store of glorious spiritual riches, you will strengthen my inner man with power so that Christ will live in me by faith. I pray that I will have the supernatural ability to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. May I know that love by experience, the kind of love that surpasses knowledge, so that I can be filled with God himself. I realize, too, that there is a spirit in me that is able to do beyond all I can ask or imagine. Lord, may that spirit work in me and bring glory to Jesus. I pray that as I experience a fresh revelation of your love, this love will mature in me and grow in knowledge and wise insight. May I be able to discern what is best and to live blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, Father, fill me with a knowledge of your will as your Spirit gives me wisdom and understanding. Let me live a life worthy of Jesus and please him in every way. Grant me to produce good fruit, to be strengthened with all power, to have great endurance, and to always praise you, the God who has rescued me from the dominion of darkness and who has brought me into the kingdom of light. I ask all of this in the wonderful and powerful name, Jesus, and I thank you that no weapon formed against me or the fulfillment of this prayer will be successful. Amen. Let's make this our stuff.